I'm Jeremiah Bradshaw, and this is Customs, Culture, Context. On this show, we will be examining ideas, customs, or practices that were once accepted, but are now no longer culturally appropriate. We are a couple average Joes with a love for research and discussion. This week, we will be discussing the ancient medical practice of bloodletting. We will be discussing its mythic origin, as well as its long descent to the realm of pseudoscience. So, get out your medieval garb and your sharpest razor, and get ready for some context. Welcome to the Customs, Culture, Context podcast. I'm your host, Jeremiah Bradshaw. I'm uh, here with my co-host today, Will I Am, the singer. Um, well, yeah, definitely. That's All who right. I am. Um, today I came dressed as a vampire. And if you're wanting to know why, that's because our subject is bloodletting. I know. the. Uh, I just, again, a lot of questions. You know, you went with like the super like fashionable vampire. I'm, I'm no Robert Pattinson. Right, if I if I want to look like a vampire, I have to go above and beyond. And where did you get all that blood? Um, my roommate gave it to me. Yeah, you look kind of sticky. Yeah, well, you do what you gotta do, right? This episode's about bloodletting. We're gonna get into how you, <laughs> you know, how you extract that. Listen, yeah, you gotta get into it. All right, well, we'll uh, we'll get this started. So, for those who don't know what bloodletting is, bloodletting is. It was a medical practice, right, of uh, withdrawing blood from a patient to prevent or cure illness and disease. And if that sounds a little bizarre to you or redundant, it, uh, it definitely it, it is. It is. But uh, we'll, we'll get into it, and you'll kind of see our fascination with how this came to be and why, why it even existed. Right? It's, it's one of those things where you really have to take – the saying, don't knock it till you try it. Right? <laughs> once, once you've tried it, then you can knock it. And the truth is, is that's what people did for thousands of years. Right. People yeah. people kept trying it, and they said, yeah, this you know, this seems to be working. Yeah, absolutely. It, again, that, that's what fascinated me about researching this. I had no idea how it old... It went on for so long. How old this practice is. Right. I mean, it makes sense in the sense that that is something that's so visceral... It's yes. something that uh, people at that time, they could control and, like, do. Right. Right? There's no microscopes. They're unable to see any sort of, like, cells, right? Yeah. They're, they're able to see there is a red liquid yeah. coming out of said body. <laughs> right? There's clearly something going on. So, point of reference, um, I couldn't find an exact kind of starting date for this because it's so old. Yeah. But um, it, it's, it's known to have happened during, you know, ancient Egypt and ancient Greece. Uh, there was something that was kind of funny that <laughs> I read that there was, there's a myth, obviously it's a myth though, you know, take it with a grain of salt, but that the ancient Egyptians saw the hippos and the hippo actually sweats when it sweats, it secretes like a red sweat that looks like blood. They saw the hippo sweating red sweat and they mistook it for blood. And apparently they thought the hippo was regulating itself by losing blood. And so maybe they tore a page out of the hippo's playbook. I'm not sure. But uh, either way, it's still pretty bizarre. Kind of makes you why they wonder why they chose hippos specifically. 
There's a lot of weird stuff animals do that they could have <laughs> decided to emulate for medical purposes. Listen, you know? when you're on the Nile. So um, we can't really talk about the practice of bloodletting without talking about the concept of humors. Um, did you find anything interesting about humors or you or did yeah you know? i mean i like i researched sitcoms i researched stand-up right just kind of the general philosophy of humor oh is that not what you meant all right so uh humors okay so what what we're kind of talking about here maybe you've heard this before is um there was a belief that the human body had different types of liquids in it or humors and the amount and balance of humors that you had in your body can dictate your health. It dictates your health. It contributes to your wellness or your sickness, basically, depending on the balance or imbalance. Um, and so uh, this is a concept that stems from Egyptian and Greek physicians, philosophers, and it goes way back. We're going to kind of just, I, I mean, I kind of focused my research on humors on Hippocrates, who lived around 400 BCE. Um, and he's kind of the most well-known for kind of just, establishing this concept right so basically what he thought was that the human body contains blood phlegm yellow bile and black bile those are the four humors that are inside the human body can you, uh, can you tell me what black and yellow bile are so that was interesting because i when i heard black and yellow bile what is this you uh, thought black and yellow black and yellow I thought black and yellow, black and yellow, and then I thought, is it... I thought uh, it was urine. I thought it was urine, and I thought it was uh, someone's stool, right? Yeah, I thought that, and I was like, yeah, I don't know, man, that's kind of brown usually. So, and there's even, it's actually up for debate what it actually really is. They believe yeah. that the black bile was inside the, um, I believe it's inside the kidney. There's kind of a bile that goes in there, mm. and uh, blood is blood, phlegm. Yeah, I, I wasn't too clear because I, I don't think they're they're very clear on what they are exactly. Are you saying this isn't real science? We'll get into that. Okay, uh, I haven't I haven't decided for myself yet, but hopefully by the end you can convince me. Okay. All right. Um, and with the humors, the humors is kind of interesting because it almost felt like a... We take these personality tests, these color tests, to kind of like define ourselves and... and, and uh, we, we want concrete, like, knowledge knowledge about why we are the way we are, basically. And they attributed different, like, moods to these humors. So blood, for example, is uh, the temperament is sanguine, which is, like, happy. So if you're overly happy, you got too much blood, kid. Uh, and then yellow bile. <laughs> and, that's, and that's why the kid, they just walked around with frowns. Exactly. Because otherwise some guy was going to come up to you and stab you with a needle. Listen, nobody was happy back then, okay? They had subdued happiness. Oh, okay. So, yeah. And, and they even attributed, like, different, like, uh, elements to the humors, different seasons. It was very fun. You know, it, it was a very fun thing, right? Mm. Um, and so, basically, with these humors, like, it, it was their way of kind of understanding, you know, why am I sick? Why am I this way? Do I have too much of this? Do I have too little of that? Basically, it was their fill-in for the scientific method. 
Right. Right. They were just some guy came up with or multiple individuals, probably a bunch of dudes came up with this idea of this is what this means. This is what this means. This is you can do it. Right. And then people just did it. Yes. Right. Whereas today, obviously, there's a pretty rigorous um, process of learning any information that's actually validated about ourselves or about life in general. Yeah, absolutely. And so we won't really focus on the yellow bio, black file and phlegm. We'll just kind of focus on the blood aspect of this humor's theory this humor's understanding so um that's something that they could control was the amount of blood that you had in your body uh they couldn't really put it back in you at that time but they could definitely take it out mm-hmm. um it's interesting and, that they didn't they didn't see anything wrong with that yeah exactly like oh this is easy we'll just take it out so uh something that i read that was really interesting that uh, connected a bunch of dots in my mind about this this custom uh, bloodletting was kind of mimicking the menstruation process. So basically they, they, they saw women go through menstruation and they thought, what is the woman doing? The woman is getting rid of bad blood, right? The woman is getting rid of blood that should not be in her body. That's basically what her body is doing. I'd go as far as to say casting out demons, casting out demons. Yeah, that's fair as well. Um, <laughs> and so that played into this understanding of blood is not circulatory in your body. You have a certain amount of blood in your body that's created, and then the blood becomes uh, stagnant. Stagnant, exactly, right? And so if you have stagnant, bad blood in your body, you got too much blood, you're sick, you're afflicted, we got to cut you, we got to drain you, we got to throw some leeches on you yeah. in order to make it right. It's interesting that they didn't think they didn't think the body was. I wonder if they understood that blood regenerated. Yeah, it feels like they probably must have. They couldn't have thought it was a fixed amount if they just kept draining these people. Because there's times where they would drain people for days and yeah. days and yeah. right, just take out heavy amounts of blood every single day. So right. you'd think they would have understood that blood is regenerated. Right, and I think they got that far. I just think they didn't understand that uh, blood circulates through the body it renews itself right mm, I see. um so uh, it, it is it, it's wild to think about all the different like ways that they would prescribe bloodletting so for example you know in this one british medical text they recommended bloodletting for acne for asthma cancer cholera coma convulsions diabetes epilepsy fomo fomo Gangrene, goot, herpes, indigestion, insanity, mm. jaundice. Oh, that one actually does work for that. I'm well, we'll go. Sense. We'll go back to that one later. Leprosy, uh, yeah. And again, the list just goes on and on and on. It was even used to treat forms of hemorrhaging, uh, such as nosebleed, excessive menstruation, uh, or hemorrhoidal bleeding. And it was even used before surgery or on the onset of childbirth. Right, and those those last like six six things they go exactly against the logic you would think of today, right? If you are losing blood or having an issue, um, you know, having clots, you would think that you wouldn't want to release more of your blood. Oh boy, listen, I I read I, you may have read this story too of this uh, French doctor. Or I'm trying to remember exactly, but it was in like the 1800s. French guy's in the war. He gets hit in the chest and loses a bunch of blood faints. Okay, They bring him back to the war hospital. They're like, all right, 
you lost all the blood, you fainted, we got to bleed you, okay? And so, like, over a period for, like, three days, they're just bleeding and bleeding and bleeding this poor guy out. And then to the point where he's, like, so sickly, but he's still alive. And then they just attribute his survival to taking away his blood, you know? Once again, once again the, uh, the scientific method hadn't quite taken its full place <laughs> in society. And it, well, think about this. This, this. this has been going on forever. If we lived in this time, it would totally make sense to us to approach a doctor and say, Hey, buddy, I, uh, I got some... You're starting it off with, Hey, buddy. Oh, yeah. You know, Not... you don't want him to think you're too happy. Um, anyways, you approach the doctor and you just say, Hey, listen, I need to be cut. And, and, and this is a procedure that was like available and affordable to anyone of any background, right? All you need to do is cut the person. <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of like being like, yeah, I mean that guy, you know, he could kick me. It's free. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> The idea of, like, something being free and accessible is like, well, maybe it's still not a great idea. That's just funny that, you know, in their minds it could be a justification of, like, well, you know, this is cheap, it works, and then they're like, oh, he's blind. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Sounds horrible. Man, and if you look at some of the tools that they were using, I'm not sure you looked any of them up, but they have this one called the, uh, the Scarificator. The Scarificator. It's this little brass box with, like, teeth that they would just take to your arm. It is horrifying. Mm. They got that. They got the spring-loaded lancet. Mm. And then they just got what is called a fleam. And uh, as you can see it right here, it uh, it doesn't look very friendly. Oh, yeah. That looks horrible. And that's the... It looks like a torture device. It's a sure. scarificator. Yeah, it looks like a torture device. Honestly, a lot of this... Reading about this and thinking about this honestly reminds me of, like, BDSM stuff. Like, I feel like... Interesting. I feel like there could be some really, really weird individuals <laughs> that would decide that bloodletting was a way to... Right. Yeah. So, with with all this, all you know, the history that we've gone through, you know, what are the problems with this practice? I, I, I think we understand today that... Taking blood out of your body does not remove the disease from your body, right? Yes. Okay, good. Hang with me here, okay? Oh, okay. Um, and losing lots of blood is not good for the body either, right? Are you sure? Well, I haven't tried, but from what I understand, if you lose a lot of blood, you can go into hypovolemic shock, mm. which basically means that you've lost so much blood and it impedes the heart to pump uh, as a result, you know, your body, you can't get enough oxygen leading to tissue and organ damage and dead. Yeah. One of the things that I read on Wikipedia um, while looking at this is that apparently George Washington, he got a, like, really bad throat flu or something. I think or he had throat, strep. He had a throat infection, yeah, something like that, which is probably strep. Um, and apparently he requested a, a bloodletting <laughs> and he died. <laughs> like, Let there be blood. Right after. So, so. man, I, I read that too. And I read, do you know how much blood they pulled out of him? 
3.75 liters. You know he's a big man. 3.75. He was a big you man, know, You know how big that, that two liter soda bottle is? Yeah. Almost, he almost filled two of those. He had to have his, his own boat when he was crossing the Delaware. <sighs> he's a big man. Poor George W. Well, he wasn't that poor. All right. That's true. So what what made it so that this ancient practice all the way from ancient Egypt, ancient Greece, how did it come to a stop? I think that probably the best answer is just the scientific method and general logic took over, right? Because it was going on up until I think the 1900s, right? Yeah. Right. It kind of died around in the late 1800s, but that's really about the time that science really starts to kick in. Um, a lot of people are doing really good work with, you know, biology and just innovating in that field. So it makes sense around the time that it went away that it should have. Definitely. And kind of just talking to its continued pop- popularity, um, while their kind of anatomical knowledge grew, their uh, surgical diagnostic skills grew, you know, you know, 17th century, they're getting huge understanding of anything like much more than they ever understood in like the past like a thousand two thousand years and so what was so powerful was just the psychological benefit of bloodletting the placebo basically the placebo totally outweighed any physiological problems that it caused more than likely you're going to get bled and you're not going to die you're going to lose some blood but it's not going to cure you but you're like you have trust in a tradition that has been passed down from generations. And that brings comfort, right? So are you telling me all modern medicine is just to give us comfort? I'm saying the power of a placebo is very strong. Very strong. Interesting. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's quite the practice. And I mean, okay, this is something that I found super interesting, kind of going back of how this kind of, this tradition pervades our society today. So before, like during like wars that were happening in the 16th, 17th, 18th century, there was uh, surgeons and there was barber surgeons. Right. That's something that I read about and I was surprised that that's a real thing. Yeah. So um, (laughs) it it read that although that bloodletting was often recommended by physicians, it was carried out by barbers. So uh, they knew their way around the razor. I guess so. And so listen, the red and white striped pole of the barbershop, so iconic, uh, is derived from this practice. The red symbolizes blood, while the white symbolizes the bandages. You know, and that's the thing, is if I walk in a great clips today, and I said, listen, you might not be comfortable with this, but I need you to do something for me. They do it, because that's what a barber does. They've done it for a long time. Is that why you're so disfigured? (laughs) No, it was the makeup I tried to put on to be a vampire. Okay. All right, just checking. So um, kind of bringing this to, like, full circle, how do I say this? This is a tradition that lasted for a really long time, and we look back and we scoff at it, right? And it is hard because we're giving it some context right now, and we're kind of talking about it. It'll be interesting to see in 100 years where physicians, humanity is looking back and going, What? 200, 300 years down the line, if they're like gasping that we were using uh, chemotherapy and radiation therapy, right? Right. And that's, you know, one of the things 
if any of our listeners are wondering, I'm a biology student at UVU. One of the things my professors... Not pre-med, maybe. We'll see. Anyway, one of the professors today said the thing that makes science so powerful, right, is that there are no facts, quote-unquote, right? You're constantly reassessing what's going on. And the idea that bloodletting was perpetuating as an option for so long is clearly indicative that they were not right, actually testing and looking back on it. So it's true while you look at something like that, and maybe that'll be looked at as something that's dumb. You can't necessarily say, you know, these people just kept doing something with basically any real reason. We have reason right now, and basically the reason we do things is because it's the best information that we have. Right. And as we gain new information, then we're able to come up with better solutions and test new options. Right. And that's, I mean, although it took so long, it is a hopeful testament to we humanity. Right? We, we got, got there. there. <laughs> we're not bleeding kids out in the street anymore. I think, I want the barber surgeons back, though. Well, I don't I don't think that they had to die out. Yeah, that, that could be. They could do something. Some knife tricks, maybe. I don't know. Listen. The next time I go get a, a straight-edged razor shave. From Seamus? From Seamus. The Irish barber? I'll ask him if he could just take, uh, take off a little. Take off a little uh, uh, blood. Take off a little. I want a one over here and then a negative. <laughs> a negative <laughs> Right at this artery. Five. Right on my artery. Oh, boy. All right. Let's wrap this thing up. So thank you for listening. Um, this was a lot of fun. And... Uh, Please look up any of the stuff that we talked about. and uh, It's all on Wikipedia, basically. It's on Wikipedia. Credit to them. So have a good uh, day, and uh, we'll say goodbye. Adios. Customs, Culture, Context is brought to you by the Bradshaw Brothers. And special thanks to Rook Studios. Thank you all for listening, and make sure to tune in to our next episode.